drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now of this Jesus meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And when they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him, and some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. And the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd does not know the law is accursed. So Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So we are finishing up um, John chapter 7, which uh, finds Jesus, again, as I said a while ago, about six months away um, from his death. And so things are very much increasing in regard to just the intensity of everything um, connected with the moment. And so this is the Feast of the Tabernacles. There are three major feasts that um, every young Jewish male were required uh, to be a part of every year. This one took place in the fall. It has just finished as well uh, in October. And so usually every October is when you find the Feast of the Tabernacles. God established this for the Jews to continue to, re, to be reminded. It was to, to remind them of how God saved them, took care of them while they wandered those 40 years in the wilderness. And so they would come to Jerusalem. And as they came to Jerusalem, they would, uh, they would spend the time in, in tents during that time. And, uh, and so they would, they would be reminded of um, what happened. And every day there were a number of different things that took place uh, in the temple in regard to uh, sacrifices. And so let me just tell you some of the things that are going on because it's important for us to understand these before we begin to, to walk through the text this morning. And so on the last day of the feast, Jesus, we know, stands up. But leading up to that, every day the high priest would take a golden pitcher, and he would go through the water gate outside of the city walls, and he would go to the pool of Siloam, and he would put that in there, and he would hold it up, and then he would walk back through the water gate, and he would come into the temple. And so this, my, my platform this morning uh, is going to kind of serve as a visual picture for us of what would happen. And so as he walked back into the city, the people would shout, and they would celebrate, and they would quote Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, that says this, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So he goes, he gets the water, he comes back in. The people are, are shouting, celebrating. They are um, uh, quoting um, this Isaiah 12 passage. And the high priest would come in and he would take the water and he would do this every day of the feast. And he would pour it on top of the altar and the water would run on top of the altar and it would run off of the altar. Now, the people were instructed also that as they came to the Feast of the Tabernacles, they were to bring certain kinds of branches from trees. Um, and they would, around the altar, they would bring those to the temple, and they would build, in a sense, a, a tabernacle made out of these branches to commemorate and, and to remind the people of how God had saved them and rescued them while they were gone in the wilderness. So that took place for seven days, but on the eighth day, things were a little bit different. So the high priest would go out, he would get the water, he would come back in, um, they would quote, and then on the eighth day, they would, the people would, and you couldn't get everybody in there, but the people were, were there, and the very last thing that began to take place before they entered into the promised land, if you will remember, is they came to the city of Jericho, and they marched around it how many times? Seven times, okay? So on this day, the Feast of the Tabernacles, they would, he would pour the water on the altar. You would have this tabernacle of the branches, and they would walk around the tabernacle seven times, 
commemorating and reminding the people of when they came to the city of Jericho and they began to be ready to step into the promised land. But at the end of that, that as the priests would be pouring the water, there would be not shouting or singing. The, the days leading up, the seven days, they would sing the Hallel, um, which is Psalm 113 through 118. It's where we get the word Hallelujah. And so they would sing that, but on the eighth day, they wouldn't do it. He would, as he was, as they marched around, they would do so in silence, just as they did in Jericho, and then he would pour the water. And it's at this probable moment, when everything got quiet, Jesus was in the room. And when Jesus is in the room and when Jesus speaks, really significant things can happen. So likely as the priest is pouring the water, they've completed the silent walk around this makeshift tabernacle. Jesus was seated, now stands, and, and with a loud voice, the text says, says, if anybody is thirsty, let that person come to me and drink. And it was this great invitation. So that's the setup of where we are. So this marching around has happened. This pouring of the water has happened. This is the last and greatest day. And so Jesus stands up. And so let's begin to walk through this so we can understand um, what's going on here. So look at verse 37. So on the last day of the feast, the great day, the eighth day, Jesus stood up and he cried out. What I love about this is he inserts himself as the center focus of this in the moment of silence. And he just stands up and says, hey, I've got something to say. And I can imagine, because we have been seeing this increasing as we walk through John, they, the Pharisees must have turned and like, okay, this guy just won't shut his mouth. He just keeps interjecting himself into everything that's going on. And, and I'm sure that they were just like, oh, man, we're so, we're done with him. And he stands up in the moment of silence and he, and he cries out and he says these things. And again, I want you to notice this. He does this by speaking. And this is one of the things that is so important for us to understand that our God is a speaking God. He's not an idol who's been made in a factory that can't move, can't stand in his own, can't listen, can't see, can't hear, cannot speak. He is the living God. And so here Jesus speaks. And I'm sure, again, they didn't like this, but let me just make this statement. He gets to say whatever he wants to say, whenever he wants to say it, and however he wants to say it. And on this day, under the leadership of the Father, Jesus stands up and he speaks. Psalm 46.10 says this, Be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. And so Jesus on that day does that reality and he speaks in the quiet moment. But let me just remind us as well, at the very opening pages of the Bible, you know what we find? God doing what? Speaking. So let me just, I'm not going to read all the verses, but these are in every place. God said, 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 God said to them, and God said. And every time he spoke, something happened. When the Bible closes, guess what we find? He's the last speaker of the Bible. Revelation twenty two twenty. he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. So from the very beginning of the Bible to the last pages of this uniformed message of the glory of Christ, guess what God is doing? God is speaking. And here we are 2,000 years later. The texts that have come to us, they have come to us under the authority of God. There's no errors in them, regardless of how many people touch them. Our God is sovereign enough and powerful enough to get us His Word, because if we can't trust this, then how do we really ultimately know anything about who He is? And so, so we, we have this trustworthy reality. So the beginning of the Bible starts with God speaking. The Bible ends with God's speaking, and it leads us to consider in our day and time a very important topic, and it's this one. Who gets to narrate the world what the truth story is? Who gets to do that? Well, one group who thinks that they can do that is our culture. And our culture has a perspective on truth, and it's a pretty messed up perspective on truth. It's shady. It's got trickery with it. 
It's got a lot of deception with it. It's got lies connected with it. And our world, our culture communicates, this is what life is about. And you can see this everywhere in our day and time. So our culture has a perspective of, of what to communicate about what truth is. Well, guess who also has an idea of what he thinks truth is? And it's the great enemy, Satan. Now, his truth is not truth. It's lies, but it's his truth. And it's maybe a little confusing. But listen to what Jesus had to say about him. And he wants to narrate in the world as well. This is John eight forty four, Jesus speaking of the devil. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And listen to what Jesus says about Satan. And he does not stand in the truth. Satan can't stand in the truth. It's not something he's going to fight for, stand for. And the reason is, Jesus says, because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we live in a day and time in 2020 where our culture is narrating, here's what truth is, this is what it looks like, here's what it sounds like, buy into this. Satan is communicating in deception and lies because he can't stand into the truth. And now we come to the point of the text and the point of what's necessary for us to understand, and it's this, is that Jesus is the one, the only one who gets to narrate what truth is. He's the only one who can do that, and the reason is, is because he is truth. So Jesus, just hours before he's hanging on the cross, um, he has been beaten, he has been spat upon, he has been mocked, he has been hit, he's had thorns put into his head, and he's having a conversation with this political leader about truth. So Jesus in John 18, 36 said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom, Jesus says, is not of this world. And then Pilate said, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, well, you say that I'm a king, but for this purpose, I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Now listen to what Jesus says. Very important to notice this. I have come into the world, Jesus tells Pilate, to bear witness to the what? The truth. The truth. The truth. And then he says this, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then, so culture has an idea of how to narrate what life is about. Satan has an idea about that. Jesus has a clear idea about that. And then he is entrusted, Jesus is entrusted to the church the responsibility to hold high what? Truth. So Paul, writing to this young pastor in Ephesus by the name of Timothy, writes these words in 1 Timothy 3.15. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Now I'm going to come over here, just kind of give illustration here. So we've got some poles here, one, two, three. We got one of these black poles hidden in here. These are pillars. You come over to this wall in here, these black poles are in this wall over here like this. You can look up above and we've got these arches, these buttresses, kind of inside buttresses. And what do they do? They attach themselves to the foundation for the purpose of holding up the roof and making the room safe for everybody in here. Now, Paul, writing here, says this about the church. That the church is not the foundation because who's the foundation? Jesus is. But the church attaches itself to the foundation and it strongly connects with them and it lit... Watch. As these pillars do, they lift up and hold up one main thing. The truth of the glory of who Jesus Christ is. So if you go to Europe, or you go to some place over there, and they've got these Gothic cathedrals that were built way back when, and they've got buttresses outside. They are, they are concrete, really incredibly architecture things that are out there. And they're connected to the outside of the of those churches, and they serve the same thing, to uphold the building. Don't miss this truth. 
Our responsibility, Sunday after Sunday, our responsibility when we are thrust into the world after we leave this place is to be people out in the culture that upholds the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And we are called to be those kind of people. And who knows in the days ahead what that's going to look like for us in regard to um, our culture here um, in America. But, but this is critical. When Jesus on this day stands up in the moment of silence and He speaks into the midst of His culture on that last and greatest day in the tabernacle, He is saying this, I have the authority to speak. I have the authority to call people to Myself. And then we know that He has entrusted that to us now to be the people at church and in the culture that holds up truth. Are you all with me? Okay? Our culture is going to continue to lie. It's what cultures do. Okay? And if we're expecting them to always be truth-tellers, we have fooled ourselves. They will at times tell the truth, and then they will at times not tell the truth. But Jesus tells the truth. This is the truth, and this is what we hold up. And so on this day, Jesus stands up, and He has the authority to speak. And as He speaks... He presents to you and I today the great hope that we have because of who He is. Now let's look at this because there are six things I want us to see here as the reason Jesus is the hope of the world. So look at the next second part of 37 all the way to 39. So He stands up and He cries out in a loud voice and He says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And I just want to touch on six things for a moment that I think are really important. And I just want to, I want to say this to us. Listen, I don't know how you came into the room this morning. I don't know what burdens that each of us have. I don't know, I don't know the frustrations about stuff that's going on in our country that, that anybody has today. But I just want to remind us of this great reality. And the great reality is this. King Jesus is seated on a throne this morning and it's an everlasting kingdom. And no one can remove him from it. He doesn't have term limits he doesn't get voted in he by nature is the king of the universe and because that is true as he stood up on that day and as we sit in this room this morning there are things about him that tell us we can have great confidence right now in this moment and the first confident thing that we can have about why jesus is the hope of the world is that He is the only one who can satisfy our lives. And so notice what He says there. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now I'm going to give you some water trivia. Are you ready? Worldwide, there are 3,200 different types of water brands. In bottles, all that kind of stuff. And yet, as we sit here in this room this morning, one in six people in the world still do not have access to clean water. So what it tells us is this, we really don't ultimately really have a water issue. We have other kinds of issues about getting water to the right places. So there's a physical water issue in our world today, but there's a much dire water issue in our world. And that's getting the gospel to people who are so thirsty for the hope that Jesus gives. Now notice what he does here. If anyone, not the elite, not the people with money, not the connected people, if anyone, if anyone, very broad, very, very broad. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of John's, all, Gospel of John's, Gospel of John, all of these invitations are very broad. Whoever thirsts, if anyone, to all who would believe. And so, so he, he's saying, listen, if anyone, 
thirst, you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come to me. Now over by these doors with the glass windows over there, I got a water bottle. And I'm kind of thirsty. Second time I preach today. And I've got water here, but I got water there. If I want to drink from that water bottle, I can't stay here and go, come here. Can't do that. The invitation is the water, I can hear it calling me that if I want to drink, I can go over there and I can drink. If you are thirsty for the essence of life in this room today, there is an invitation that, that says this Come. He's come. And as He's come, He invites us to come, but we've got to come. And so if anyone, if anyone, anyone is thirsty, you are invited by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to come and drink and to be satisfied. There is access. So it's available to all. We are invited to come, and there is access because of what he has done for us. Listen to these words. It's a prophet Isaiah in chapter 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Now, wait a minute. If I don't have any money, I don't know about you, my world is if I go into 7-Eleven on the corner up there and I don't have any money, I can't, I can't just get stuff and, and walk out. What, what does this mean? Well, this kind of water that's being offered can't be bought. It can't be earned. What is it? It's called grace. It's offered and extended to people who can't afford it, who are poor, who are poor in spirit. And he says, come and buy Wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me and hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast sure love for david and so jesus when he stood up that day he just said this establishing for us the great hope of our lives that he is the one who satisfies he alone satisfies and it brings us how does he do that how does he bring us to a place of satisfaction when he says it with the next words it's connected to believing in him so come to him and drink but come to him and believe come and Believe, And so Jesus says in 38, whoever believes in me, come and take it in. Jesus can indeed save. Jesus can allow us to experience and have salvation by belief in him. And the invitation is to come. So one, it's come to have satisfaction. And two, it's come to believe in him. And that belief in him gives us everlasting life. And here's the third reason. Jesus is the hope of the world is that he is the one who is the fulfillment of the scriptures or he is the one of whom the scriptures speak. And I know I speak about this all the time and I want to continue to speak about it because I think we need to be reminded. But the point of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ and the point of the New Testament is Jesus Christ. He's the point of the scripture. Now back in John chapter 5, Jesus is talking to some of these very same people and he says, you search the scriptures... Because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they, the scriptures, that speak about me. They bear witness about me. They point to me, and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now, I've, I've, <clears throat> I've gone back to what I'm about to say. I don't know how many times through the years, and I'm going to go back to it one more time. So I want you all to say, bring it one more time, Doak. All right, say that. Bring it one more time. All right, I'm bringing it, okay? All right, I'm bringing it one more time. All right. The most significant day in the history of the world was a Sunday morning when a dead body of the Son of God came alive and a stone was rolled away and he walked out of the tomb, conquering death, conquering sin, conquering every enemy that faced us. Well, he didn't, get his Instagram out on his phone and take a selfie of himself and post it for everybody to watch. Um, he didn't put it on Facebook. He didn't tweet it. He didn't 
whatever you do today to get the word out. You know what he did that day? He joined two guys walking about nine miles away, confused about what had happened over the last couple of days. And he joined them and he said, hey, what are you guys talking about? Well, we're <laughs> They're like, uh, hello, where have you been? Um, the only thing people are talking about is what happened with Jesus, this guy named Jesus of Nazareth. We kind of were part of that group and, and he died we were hoping he was this, and he died, but now some of the women that were part of our group, they came back this morning and said, we saw him and talked to him, and he just kind of, it doesn't tell us his body expressive, but I think he just kind of goes, because he says, oh, foolish ones, and you know what he did over the next couple of hours? It says he opened the Old Testament scriptures from the writings of Moses in the writings of the prophets, and he showed them in the scripture everything that the Old Testament said about him. Well, they get to this place called Emmaus, and they're sitting down. They convince him to come. They don't even know. They don't know it's Jesus, but they convince him to eat with them, and they're sitting down, and he breaks the bread, and when he breaks the bread, it looked very familiar to something that happened three days before when he instituted what we know as the Lord's Supper, and their eyes were opened up, and they were like, before they could get the words out, it's the Lord, he just disappeared right in front of their eyes. He left the room. Well, you know where he went? He appeared in Jerusalem. Those guys, by the way, ran back to Jerusalem and found the apostles. And you know what he did that night? He entered into a room with the ones that he had chosen that were going to be the first church planters and starters of churches in the world. And you know what he spent the rest of that night doing? Opening the Old Testament. And then John writes this, and explaining from the Psalms who Jesus is. And I want to tell you that one of the reasons he's the hope of the world is because he is the centerpiece of the revelation of God in print, in written word. He's the point of the Old Testament. He is the point of the New Testament. And he will be the point for all of eternity. And we will live, those of us who know him, in his presence. And so our world today is going to narrate truth about all kinds of things. But there is only one who can narrate truth, and it's Jesus. Because he's the only one who has no, he's been not tainted with sin. He did not sin. He is the hope of our lives, for he is the point of Scripture. And fourthly, he is the hope of our lives because he is the one who gives flowing, living water because of what he has done. So he says, out of his heart will flow live rivers of living water. We all know what it's like. If you came to Christ older or later in your life, you know this, that your life was a desert and then when you came to know Christ, this water came in your life and, and you knew what it was like to be forgiven and to walk um, with Him. I, I know what that was like. Because I tried the things of the world. I'd bought into the lies of the world. And the culture was narrating things. And I'd bought into the lies of the enemy about what I really needed. But when I met Jesus, something inside began to flow. And it began to move and it was powerful. And it was life changing and and so now there's joy that's there there's life that dominates for those who know who christ is and this river of water will never ever run dry never it is a living river living river and there's a sustaining power of this river it never stops running for it is always there and constantly refreshing the life of the believer and this living water gives us power it gives us joy and it gives us hope but we have to ask an honest question if that is true then what sometimes is wrong with us why do we not experience that and i'll just ask it this week of myself and i'll ask it to us this morning is if these words that jesus describes here are true of those who come to know him then why sometimes it just why do we feel barren why does it feel so dry and i think there's two things two answers to that that come out is one is it should remind us that there ought to be a great longing in our lives for that living reality to be true in us. That there's just a refreshing thing of walking with Him. And then secondly, there's just a great conviction that sometimes comes in my life 
where I can easily forget what life is about and get caught up about things that life really isn't about. And so he's the one, because of what he has done, because of who he is, who can give this living water. Here's the fifth reason Jesus is the hope, is that he gives, because of what he did, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of those who believe in him. On your seat is a piece of paper that says Jesus and the gift of the Spirit. And so for the most part, I just went through the Gospel of John and and wrote out some things, and I'm not going to go through all these, but I just want to highlight it. One of the great hopes and confidences we have today in Christ is because His work and what He has done gives us great hope in the Holy Spirit's work. So you can see at the top, Jesus and the gift of the Spirit. So uh, John 7, then Acts 1, 4, And while He was staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. For John baptizes you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what does the Spirit do when He comes to reside in our life? One is, He bears witness of Jesus in our lives. Secondly, this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the world. He convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He guides us, John 16, into all truth. He glorifies Christ by declaring what belongs to Jesus to us in John 16. Paul writes in in 2 Corinthians 1 and Ephesians 1 that the Holy Spirit, for those of us who believe in Jesus, He becomes a seal. He seals our lives that we belong. We're marked in a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance. When we don't know what to pray or when we're weak, guess what the Holy Spirit does? He prays on our behalf with groans. Sometimes we don't even know what we ought to pray, and so the Holy Spirit is an aid in that. And the Holy Spirit also knows the mind and the will of God, Romans 8, 27. And so He aids us in that. And then lastly, Jesus' glorification led to the Spirit's coming, and that's the sixth hope. So, Five and six are kind of connected together that Jesus says here. So, so it says there in John seven thirty nine, the first part. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. In John sixteen seven, Jesus says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away... The Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send Him to you. Now listen to this great reality. All of those things right there on that front page of that paper of what has come to us because Jesus went away. Now where did He go away to? Well, He went to heaven back to His Father. His Father had sent Him on mission here to die, to to be raised, to defeat Satan, to defeat death, to defeat sin. And then he ascended, and he sat down at the right hand of his Father. Right hand of the throne is the seat of power and authority. When you sit down in those days, it meant finished work. So he ascends, sits down in powerful authority, finishing the work that's there. And because he is there, after Jesus went away, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and filled the believers and they went out into the streets and they began to proclaim. John 1.14 tells us, And the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. So on the last and greatest day of the Feast of the Tabernacles, where they were remembering God saving them, being with them, In the midst of the wilderness, Jesus cries out in the moment of silence and says, Come to me, and if you'll come to me and you will believe in me, you have no idea what I'm going to give you. And the great gift that I think we fail to see and recognize so often is that the great gift that Jesus gives us as we love to talk about heaven And I'm all into heaven talk. But I'm not there yet. I'm here. And this world is yucky. It's, well, you know what this world's like. 
And so while we are here, the great gift of the Son of God was the gift in His glorification of sending the Holy Spirit to dwell inside people who now become living houses of the glory of God. Now, I've said this before, but let me remind us. I love our building, but God doesn't live here during the week. You can come up here and pray to Him. It's our place that we gather to worship. The house of God now is not a tabernacle. The house of God are redeemed people. Is that not amazing? The eternal God who spoke the world into existence lives inside His people. And Peter writes that we are being built up as living stones into this great household of God called the church. Isaiah 44.3 says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, and I will pour, capital S, my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Well, that's a six reasons why Jesus is the hope. Our culture has got a narrative about truth. Our culture lies. Did you know the media lies? Did y'all know that? Did you know the government lies? Did you know that local government sometimes does this? Do you know that stores lie and misprint things and say things? And so let's, let's just get it. Our culture has a narrative that will not get us to Jesus. An election is not going to get us to Jesus. Jesus gets us to Jesus. And he's the one who knows the Father, so therefore we've got to know him. Well, this is our day and time as well, and we're about done here in just a moment. <laughs> really interested to listen to talk radio this week. It's going to be... We live in a day and time where there's lots of opinions and lots of perspectives on things and, and lot, lots and lots and lots of stuff about things. And particularly about Jesus, there's lots of discussion. So who is he? Who is he? What, what is he? What is he? You know, is he a prophet? All this kind of stuff. Well, 2,000 years ago, they were talking about the same thing. This c- continues to be talked about today. And it's tragic, but look in verse 40. Through 44. So when they heard these words that Jesus just spoke, that we just walked through, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. More pointing to likely John the Baptist. Others said, no, 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 no. No, this isn't the coming one. This is the one. This is the Christ. But some said, well, yeah, but wait a minute. Is the Christ to come from Galilee? We know this guy's from Galilee. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem? The village where David was. So there was, 43, a division among the people over him. And some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Now I want you to notice what happens, because it happened then and it happens today. There is lots of discussion about who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? And the great danger is, and I don't mean this negatively, is to not turn to somebody who doesn't know who Jesus is to try to find out who Jesus is because all that person is going to tell you is, well, maybe he's the Christ, maybe he's the prophet, maybe he was just a good teacher, maybe he was just a moral man, and they will tell stories that are not true. And so they turn to one another and have this discussion when what, what should they have done? Okay, look, you just said that. And I don't really understand, but can you help me understand what you just said about the streams of living water? Because I'm pretty intrigued by that, because I don't know what that's like. And one of the greatest dangers in our culture, and sometimes even in the church, is we seek answers as to who Jesus is from people who don't know him or from places 
and resources that don't know him. You want to know Jesus? Right here. And I tell you, when you read this and you are alive on the inside and streams of living water, you read these things sometimes and you just go, yes, yes, yes. There's a satisfaction of tasting and seeing the glory of who he is. So there's a lot of discussion then and now without coming to belief. And discussion without belief doesn't get us anywhere. And so there's a division over him again. And so once again, we come into this section, another section in John of one of the most tragic things that was taking place. And I want you to think about this. We don't know what this is like. This group of people, the promised covenant people, have been waiting for the Christ to come for thousands of years. Ever since the Garden of Eden, when God promised that one would come. And he's two feet away from them. And all they want to do is have a discussion with someone who has no idea as to who he is. Instead of listening to who he is. And believing. And you can be in this room today, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and miss him. And so the danger, feel the heaviness of that truth, feel it in a good way. The danger is to have discussions and say, yeah, I like him. I like him. Boy, that guy had some good things to say. It's not enough. You've got to come and drink and take him in. And when you do, he gives his Holy Spirit to live inside of us in streams of living water. It's no shock that verse 44 says that some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Now let's close with this. Verse 45 through 52. So the officer says, then the officers came to the chief priests. Officers were kind of people underneath uh, the, the big time religious leaders and they kind of served as, they could arrest people, they could do different things, they had authority. And so they spent a lot of their time in the temple doing things that the Pharisees wanted them to do, probably much more than the Pharisees spent with the people. So they've been in the temple at the Feast of the Tabernacles experiencing what? Listening to who teach? Jesus. And they're blown away. They're just blown away. And so, so they're there, and they've been told, arrest him, arrest that guy. So the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? And they're like, but, 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 um, um, nobody ever spoke like this man. And we just... That, they're just drawn into the reality of who they think they're seeing and, and hearing. And the officers answered, and so they answered, no one spoke like this, and the Pharisees answered. They're like, ugh. Dumb officers. Have you not? Have you been deceived also? Look at us, verse 48. We, they, this is their bragging point, we have not believed in Him. We've rejected Him. And bragging on that. And they should have been the ones that were so, they knew the word. They should have been ready. And so, but this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. And Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, back in John 3, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And then they replied to Nicodemus, Are you... From Galilee to certainty that no prophet arises from Galilee. Now, I have been saying what we're just talking about here. I think f almost four weeks in a row I've had the same point in the sermon. Why? Because Jesus keeps repeating it. It's an issue. He keeps saying this over and over. And here's what he keeps saying over and over. It's not enough just to discuss me and talk about me. You've got to come to me, and you've got to believe. And so here is discussion among the people without believing. Here's discussion among 
the religious leaders and not believing. And the danger is this, is that they had become so blind in their hard-heartedness and self-righteous pride that their blindness led them to embrace their view of the truth instead of embracing God's view of the truth. And though you can be very, very close, you can miss it. And so because of that, the truth is there in the temple and they missed him. The written truth they missed and the living truth in front of them. Because a religion that embraces its own knowledge without seeking the right knowledge, it will always be empty and it will always be blind. Listen to these great words from the prophet Isaiah. They are a continuation of what I read a while ago. This is Isaiah 55, 6 and following. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Can I tell you some good news today? He's in this room. Right in this room. Seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And let the wicked forsake his way. Listen to the good news for the wicked. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. That the Lord may have compassion on him. And to our God. For He will abundantly pardon. Not just a little bit pardon, but abundantly pardon. Greatly pardon. Now here is a very practical thing moving forward here in how we are on this November day, 2020. And then Isaiah writes what God said. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, the Pharisees had lost sight of that they still had a lot to learn. They thought that they had mastered everything. In church, I want to lovingly tell us this morning, however we've come into this room in particular in regard to the emotions connected with um, this last week and I just I just want to I just want to remind us that tomorrow morning when you wake up the most important thing tomorrow morning when we wake up is to drink of Jesus not get distracted by things of our culture who wants to narrate a truth that is a lie So we want to drink of Jesus. We want to eat of Jesus. We want to seek the Lord while he is found. And I just, I I have to lovingly say this to us this morning. He has always done things that have confounded the people of God. We've gone, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Do you not see us down here? Do you not see what this is going to do? And I think he just wants to say this morning, my people, Will you just trust me? My ways are way higher than... I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. And I can be trusted in every single thing, even when you don't know what I'm up to. And I find today the lack of knowledge that I would think would give me some security today, I I find a strange confidence in something that I don't know that he knows and he can be trusted. So our hope today is in the one who stood on that day and said, if anybody comes to me, let him come to me and drink. And when I am ascended and I have gone to my glorification, I will send the Spirit to live inside you and inside you will be raging rivers of water to satisfy you for all of eternity. And by the way, we are going to a place that is beyond any Greek words, English words, German words, Chinese words to describe where we're going. There's not a language of humanity that's going to be able to describe what it's like to be in the presence 
of our Maker and our Savior. And that's where we're going. So as the world narrates a truth, His people do what? They live in the truth of Christ, in the truth of the Scripture. Let me close with this thought. I don't know why... Well, I don't have a mechanical mind. I'm so thankful for calculators. They were amazing things. I'm glad that algebra and geometry are beyond, I'm beyond those things now. I'm so sophisticated. I don't need them. Some of you have jobs where you need them, and God bless you. We, we want you building buildings and putting up bowls in buildings and holding up roofs. So I don't know a lot of things, but I wonder about a lot of things. And my dryer downstairs in my utility room has a buzzer on it when it's finished. And it's loud and it's like fingernails on the chalkboard and we keep it off. But our oldest daughter likes it on. Because it's a signal for her that, okay, time to come down and, you know, pull things out and fold them and all this kind of stuff. Our dog Rufus does not like the buzzer. Rufus is part Chihuahua, part miniature pincher, and, and that buzzer just went off all day yesterday because Peyton was going on a trip, and he started panting, just got himself so emotionally worked up that he's <laughs> just panting. I'm like, okay, dude, you haven't run anywhere, you haven't jumped on anything, what's your problem? And, and he just, every time, every time the buzzer went off, he just, oh, what, what do I do? <laughs> so there's, listen, watch this. There's a panting that comes from panic that will never satisfy and then there's a panting that's for the living God that satisfies as a matter of fact this is how David described it as a deer pants for flowing notice that flowing streams so pants my soul for you oh God my soul thirsts for God for the living God. And I think that's us. And so our, our, our viewpoint of the days ahead is to not in fear, but it's to for the living God. And He satisfies because of who He is. And so Jesus stood up on that day. I think that was His heart was to say to us 2,000 years later, in every context of life, in every culture, in every language, He alone satisfies. So how do we respond to that? Here's how we respond. We say this, watch. Here's my heart. I'm coming, and here's my heart. I'm giving my heart to you. Because in you I'm found, in you I'm satisfied. And you are the truth, you are the hope, you are the light, you are the life, you are love, you are majestic. There is none like you. You are omnipotent. You are zealous for your people. He is everything that we have ever longed for. And our heart today should be, here's my heart. Here's my heart to the one who invites me to him. We will pant, but what are we going to pant for? That's what's critical. Let's pray.